If you have a financial question for Pega Bruce, you can call this number 24-7-888-6 Advice. And you can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But right now during the show, you can always call or text our studio line, and that number is 651-461-9226. Now here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Peg. Thank you, Denny Long. Uh, it's the legendary Denny Long. Good to be with you again, as always, sir. Hey, Peg, today's show, uh, two weeks ago, we had Kate Meyer on, and it was a very popular show. We were talking about estate planning and a lot of questions after the show, a lot of positive comments. So we thought we'd come back today and revisit some of the things that we talked about, but dive a little bit deeper and maybe cover a little more ground there. But because some of this might be redundant to what we did two weeks ago, I wanted to encourage listeners to jump in as early as they want to with any and all financial questions. Because if we don't cover everything on our outline, we did a lot of it two weeks ago. We're just digging a little deeper today. And the other thing before we get into the topic, last week was the first show right after the news broke of Silicon Valley uh, bank going under and then followed by Signature Bank. And we talked a little bit about it, but now a week has gone by. And then also at the end of last week's show, we had a question right as we were running out of time. And I think you and I heard it differently. I heard it as a question about protection in the securities industry, because during the show, we had talked about banks being protected by FDIC insurance. And I, I thought the question was about protection in the securities industry. I think you heard it differently, but either way, we kind of ran out of time at the end. So maybe we want to go back and kind of give clarity to that question. But again, I wanted to mention, you know, as we kind of expected, a bad week in the stock market, a lot of it probably due to the news of the fear of, of the banking industry. But as we said last week, If uh, if you're in a federally insured bank with FDIC insurance, you're protected up to $250,000. And this idea of bank failing being, you know, a big story, it was a big story, I think, Peg, because it happened so quickly in the case of Silicon Valley and because of the size of the bank. But the reality is banks fail every year. Some years over 100 banks fail and we never see, you know, anything about it in the on the news or in a newspaper. So it's not uncommon for a bank to fail. It is uncommon for one of this size to fail. And again, we said this a little bit last week, but Silicon Valley was really an outlier compared to most banks. And that's why we didn't expect a, a lot of banks to follow suit. Silicon Valley was heavily reliant on institutional and venture capital in relation to ordinary typical depositors like you and I and that most banks rely on. Um, depositors have already been assured both uh, in the uh, Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, they've been assured that they will be made whole, not even if their account balance was more than the 250000 of FDIC insurance, they're going to be made whole. And the story is not going to go away right away because during the week, a lot came out about, in the case of Silicon Valley, the CEO dumping a bunch of stock before the bottom fell out and bonuses being paid to executives 
and I don't think the Department of Justice is done looking at this. Um, again, investors are going to be made whole, supposedly not at taxpayer expense, but I think the government's going to dig into this a little bit, and, and uh, I think there is some stuff going on that shouldn't have been going on. More to come on that. But the bottom line is, as an investor in the stock market, your 401k plan, um, whatever it is, I really don't think, you know, if you're a long-term investor, Peg and I would say, we always say, stay the course, keep exposure to stocks. We had a, we had a, uh, you know, a, a retraction last week, not surprising. And Peg, here's the thing that's ironic to me. What caused the stock retraction last week, usually when people sell stocks, it's because they're afraid of risk. Something's making them nervous. So they sell stocks. Then if they sell stocks, where do you put the money? Well, I guess you could buy bonds, and a lot of people are buying treasuries these days. But usually or often, if you sell stocks, you put your money in the bank. <laughs> no, it's like people saying, I can't trust the bank. So what are they left to do, bury it in the backyard? I mean, what can you trust? And so um, I know a lot of people nervous yet this, today. I really don't think they need to be. Um, I want you to comment, and then uh, maybe we touch on that question we got at the end of last week, or I'll talk a little bit about SIPC, or you can if you want to. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Thanks. I think this is a, a kind of a good reminder for everybody out there listening, meaning this FDIC insurance uh, that you have in the bank to understand, you know, how much you have covered. Now, I understand, Bruce, you mentioned that um, the, the government went way beyond the limits in um, paying people off on those banks, which is an amazing uh, thing that they did immediately and gave uh, lots of people comfort in that they will back, you know, some of these banks. So it's a good reminder, though, Bruce, with this FDIC, and, and we do this in our um, reviews, is if we see a large uh, cash amount in one bank, and you mentioned 250000 on an individual account, we've always cautioned. Because, you know, never say never. You and I, Bruce, have been in this forever. And we, we know that um, we get caught off guard, you know, here and there and just want to make sure that we're ahead of the game and are coaching our clients, uh, you know, to make sure that either they have a joint account or um, the, the limits actually go up on FDIC if you've got some beneficiaries listed on your account. So it's more detailed than I think people even realize, but it's a good thing to have. And, and especially for cash, who doesn't want to have, you know, a thousand percent confidence that their cash is safe. Then yes, Bruce, I'll talk a little bit about because our, our um, wealth enhancement group Roundtable came out with information, believe it or not, like at 6 a.m. on that Monday morning after the weekend that we found out about that bank. Uh, and they talked and they coached us again as a reminder on SIPC insurance, which is Securities Investor Protection Corp. And so all of us uh, custodian our assets somewhere. Right. And um, Wealth Enhancement Group has both, you know, Schwab and Fidelity is a, a huge custodian for us. But when it comes to that SIPC insurance, uh, we're all protected up to 500000 
which also includes, or which includes, I shouldn't say also, which includes a 250000 limit for cash. And then what these custodians do is they supplement with some additional coverage. So, you know, people listening today, um, if you if you want to know, you know, how much you're covered at um, at those custodians, it's a good idea to make a phone call, you know, to them. Now, what I can tell you is, um, you know, our clients that listen, and there's many of them, that within Schwab, um, there's additional coverage, uh, you know, of cash up to 1.15 million per customer. So there's that's just an example of there's quite a few more dollars there that they're um, securing for our uh, clients. Now, that has nothing to do, you know, with the value of your stocks and bonds or any guarantee that you'll get paid whole. This is just on cash and, you know, um, things that, that um, you know, where people are just having money saved on the side, not your investments. Bruce? Yeah, the way, the way I understand it, Peg, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or tell me if, I'm, if you disagree, um, when we say you've got protection through civic, I don't want somebody to say, okay, then, well, I lost money in 2022. How do I get my money back? Civic protection, let's, so let's say, here's an analogy maybe that gives clarity. You invest with XYZ uh, brokerage corporation or XYZ financial management firm, and you go buy an investment in ABC, if, if XYZ corporation goes bankrupt, you're protected by SIPC. But if ABC or the investment you made goes down in value, you're not protected from that loss in value. You understand when you make that investment that you're taking a risk that that investment can go up or down in value. As long as XYZ is still there servicing you and gave you all the material facts that you needed to make a fully informed decision, that's the risk you take. So SIPC does not mean you're protected against market losses if uh, if the investment doesn't work out the way you hoped it would. Is that, is that yeah. anyone understand yeah. it or is that wrong? Actually, that's perfect, Bruce. And then in addition to that, you know, you have securities held at one of these custodians. It's all segregated into separate accounts. So, you know, thus achieving some extra degree of protection if the custodian were to fail. So we feel very confident uh, about the custodians that we work with. And but but I think it was a good idea, Bruce, just to kind of run through that SIPC insurance, because I think we focus more on the FDIC, which has to do with banks. But it also, you know, kind of lets people know that um, within the securities industry, you know, these well-known custodians have some insurance as well. Bruce. Yeah. And and again, uh, you mentioned uh, that we have custodians like Schwab and Fidelity that in addition to the protection they have from SIPC, they have separate insurance. I think Lloyd's of London is a, is a popular insurer on these types of things. So again, I guess the bottom, bottom line with what has happened with banks in the last 10 days, I know it's a big news story. I know people are frightened. I know you're only human to have emotions, but it really, I, I'm being totally sincere. It does not bother me at all as an investor. I don't feel any more vulnerable today than I did 10 days ago. 
I'm highly confident in the things that I do. I'm highly confident in the things that I advise my clients to do. I don't think anybody should lose any sleep about what if your bank fails? What if this happens? Uh, it's, it's a ripple. It was a bad week in the stock market. But again, long-term money, historically, stocks have rewarded investors. And again, I probably don't say this often enough, Peg. Um, we throw these nebulous terms around, stock market, Dow, S&P. But let's remember what we're really investing in. We're investing in companies, presumably, hopefully, smart, innovative, efficient, well-run companies that will increase market share, increase profitability, go up in value. And, and if they do, over time, we'll make money on those investments. So um, none of that has changed because of what happened in the banking industry the last 10 days. Last word to you, and then let's dive into our topic. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to bring up is um, FDIC has a wonderful website, and it's FDIC.gov, G-O-V. So if anyone um, wants to read more about um, FDIC, it's a wonderful website. They even have a calculator on there that will help you understand what you're, how much you're protected. And so I wanted to share that, Bruce. That's good information for listeners. Thank you. Uh, okay, Peg, uh, two weeks ago we talked about this, but we kind of concluded that everyone, or at least almost everyone, needs a will. Well, what about a trust? Talked a little bit about that, but wills, trust, when do I need which? Let's dive into this a little bit, and I know you have some specific client examples you were going to use today on this topic. Yeah, I, I want to super quick just go over the the wills again. It's it's we believe it's really important that everyone has one with instructions in a written uh, written document. You know, naming your executor, um, naming your guardians if you have minor children. Couple reasons there: directing distributions of some tangible uh, personal property that Kate Meyer talked about a couple weeks ago. But probably more importantly that we uh, emphasize with our clients is the durable power of attorney, where that authorizes someone else to handle your financial affairs um, and your health care. Now, this is a big deal because this is a client example. We had a client who kept coming in every single week and asking for a withdrawal out of the IRA. And we didn't really notice how it was repetitious until the third week uh, he came in and asked for the same thing he asked for the two weeks prior. And so legally, if somebody wants their money, right, we, we have to give them their money. Well, on the third visit, um, we called his wife. And, you know, at that point, I have goosebumps right now because she immediately was in tears. And she recognized that her husband wasn't a hundred percent, but yet had no idea that he was coming to Wealth Enhancement Group and taking out this money. Well, at that moment in time, she was able to activate this durable power of attorney and then take immediately um, the authority for us to have to talk to her about his IRA than, um, than us having to legally just continue to give him money. So that's an example. And it's a, it's a real one. And we're finding out, too, as we all live longer, you know, the mental capacity as you age uh, deteriorates. Then also the healthcare care uh, power of attorney where 
you know, if you have a medical emergency, um, it it appoints somebody to talk to the doctors and make medical decisions for you. We highly encourage our clients to get that too. And, you know, you probably want something to say about, you know, your end of life or, um, you know, uh, what treatments do you want? What treatments don't you want? So those three, basically every client that we talk to will durable power of attorney and a healthcare directive. Uh, we want to encourage them to have that. Then secondly, uh, a trust. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, well, why would you have one? Well, you know, um, probably the main reason is wills are public information where trusts are not. You get a little bit more privacy. I love trusts because you actually gain a lot more control over your wealth. And I'm a control nut, but I'm able to uh, put a lot of language in there as to what I want to happen to my assets. And a good example, Bruce, is if clients don't want all their money to go to their kids um, or there's, let's say there's a special needs child or there's a spendthrift child, you know, it's a way to control those assets. It's a way to actually name uh, a, a new trustee that might take care of one of the siblings, you know, of the other and uh, disperse money over time. It's um, it's a written document that actually is revocable. So even though I have a revocable trust, I can go in there and change that at any time. It's not like I I created this trust and I can't and then I can't change it. Things happen, right? We're, we we've watched families change over decades of time and their wishes and wants. And as you become older, let's face it. Uh, you start to think differently, like, oh, I'm not going to spend all this money. Maybe I want to gift money today, or maybe I want to change how I'm, you know, distributing that money. It's all revocable. Bruce? Yeah, two questions come to mind, Peg, that I get from clients. So I got to go back before I go forward. Um, we didn't talk about naming a beneficiary, but beneficiary designations on your retirement plans or your other investment, if it's not a retirement plan, it might be a POD or a TOD, payable upon death or transferable upon death. We, I encourage people to review those. Many times people don't have a beneficiary when they think they do, or they have a beneficiary, but they not, it's not who they want it to be. But the question I get is, because the beneficiary designation supersedes everything else, including the, document, uh, the language in your legal document, that leads to the question, why do I need a will? And you already did such a great job of addressing that when you talked about durable power of attorney and healthcare directive. The will is not for the investments in the retirement plan. The will is for the other stuff that you can't name a beneficiary on. Uh, precious family heirlooms, jewelry, uh, baseball card collection, stamp collection, etc. Um, the other question I get a lot, then when you talk about trust and you say it avoids probate and it does this and it does that, all these things that the will doesn't do, the second question I get a lot is why don't I get a trust? Why doesn't everybody get a trust? And the answer is, number one, it's going to cost more to prepare that document, but number two, it's more laborious to make sure that you're keeping pace with doing the things you need to do to make sure that trust is doing what you want it to do. Got about a minute. You want to finish up on that? 
Yeah, the one thing I wanted to repeat that Kate said a couple weeks ago is um, many people who don't have a revocable trust and they might just have a will, that uh, they end up hiring an attorney, right? You end up hiring an attorney to to um, go through probate. Uh, the main reason that I witness about these revocable trusts is you don't, it doesn't, you avoid probate. So when we have a client pass away and they have a revocable trust, in a lot of cases, Bruce, we're able to just implement that trust. And yes, we use the attorney's guidance, but we don't have to, it's not as time consuming to um, implement that trust and the wishes. Uh, there's not a long time after the, the client passes and it's implemented. Yeah, that's great information. Denny, I know we're about due for a break the second half. Hopefully listeners will participate. And Peg and I will uh, wrap up this topic and uh, tie a little bow on it. Very good, Bruce. Yes, you can call or text our studio line right now during the show, in fact, and we urge you to do so, 651-461-9226. Again, call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. We'll be back on the other side with more of your money. Stay with us. If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, keep in mind you can always call this number 24-7. That number is 888-6-ADVICE. And you can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But we urge you to call now during the show. Call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group Financial Advisor, Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. Thank you, listeners, for uh, being with us, uh, staying with us. Uh, if you joined us late or just joined us, uh, the first part of the show, we started by uh, Peg and I did a little recap on what happened in the banking industry over the last 10 days. Bottom line, I don't, we don't need to repeat everything we said the first half of the show, but the bottom line, calm down. Things are going to be fine. Your bank, where, where you're banking at, probably is not going to fail. And even if it did, you are federally insured up to $250,000 per person. Uh, so if you're married and you each have a $250,000 account, you're insured up to $500,000. Um, we also talked about protection in the securities industry. We talked about SIPC and that the, if thing goes wrong in the securities industry, which frankly is rare as compared to uh, banks having problems. You also have protection and insurance there as well. Then the thing we really wanted to talk about today, we mentioned that two weeks ago when Kim Meyer was on and we talked about estate planning, we, we, we talked about a lot of different things, but that led to a lot of questions from listeners and, um, and, and uh, on some of the topics that we had touched on. So we wanted to come back, dig a little deeper. To, we called today's show, Everyone needs a will, but what about a trust? So Peg did a great job of, again, saying what a will is and why almost everybody needs one. But in addition to drafting a will, we coach our clients at the same time you're getting that will, you get what's called the durable power of attorney and a health care directive. Um, and almost everybody needs to do that. But then it gets trickier when you say, okay, well, what about a trust? When do I want a trust or when do I need a trust? And, uh, Peg, we, we talked a little bit about that. And whenever you say trust and you're talking about trusts and wills and estate planning 
or as I prefer to call it, legacy planning. <laughs> you say estate planning, people tune you out. We all need to do legacy planning, not just the rich. Everybody, when you leave this world one day, you probably did not spend your last dollar the day you took your last breath. Whatever's left, where do you want it to go? How do you get it there efficiently and effectively? How do you make sure you take good care of your loved ones? This is legacy planning or estate planning, and we all need to do this no matter how much money we have or we don't have. But um, when, when, when we're talking about legacy planning and we say trust, inevitably I think we're thinking of a revocable trust or a living trust. And maybe can dig a little bit deeper into that also, but then the question comes up, well, what about an irrevocable trust? Yeah, it, it can be really confusing, but um, a revocable trust, once again, I mentioned in the beginning of the show, can be changed. And the, the second type of trust that we also deal with is irre, irrevocable trust. Now, this one's definitely takes a few more meetings, Bruce, right? Because once you put assets in an irrevocable trust, you cannot reverse that. It, it's, it's, it's something that you've made a decision and basically it would be like a, a gift that you put in there that you can't take back. Well, I'm going to go backwards uh, quite a few decades uh, Bruce, do you remember when each of us could die with six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars? <laughs> I remember when it was six fifty. Yeah, and I think six seventy-five was like a little increase they gave us uh, for inflation. But what happened back then was, after you know you you could die with six hundred and seventy-five thousand, the rest of your estate was taxed twenty percent. 25%. I mean, these, these numbers were huge. Now, by the way, at that point in time, we're talking about the 80s, there was a lot of attorneys hired, right, to get these assets in a different method uh, and not be subject to that estate tax. But, but more or less, 675 was all you could die with. Well, today, each one of us can die with 12920000 each. So you have, you have fewer people that um, have a wealth of, you know, over 25 million that they're caring about. And, and so it's utilized, a lot of times it's utilized with these irrevocable trusts. But there's other reasons that, um, that people use these irrevocable trusts. And that is, I've got a client, um, and I'm going back 15, probably 20 years now, but he came into the office, he was actually a doctor. And the doctor had four or five million, I forget how much it was, in his IRA account, subject to full faith in taxing power, right? But he came in by himself, his wife wasn't with him, and he said, I need this money to be locked up. I'm going to have this heart surgery. I don't know if I'm going to recover. Um, I just need to know that this money is going to be given to my wife and my family over time. I can't have them have full access to it. Well, we worked with an attorney and the attorney said, okay, well, if you put that IRA into an irrevocable trust, it is immediately all taxed. And then he said, wow, that's like 50% of that is gone. So she, the attorney, um, 
outlined a, a, a way that this could be put into irrevocable trust without the tax, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he passed away. And so all of that was done prior to him going in to have the surgery. And still today, 20 years later, um, I witness now over those 20 years that, that he was right. His wife is kind of a spendthrift and, um, and there's still money there for her to take care of her care. Well, right now we're sending out Bruce $12,000 a month for her long-term care. And so, you know, so now 20 years later, we have the money to be able to pay that. So there's, there's reasons why irrevocable trusts um, are, are used. Now today, because that 12920 is changing uh, January 2026 down to it's cut in half. And the reason I say it's cut in half, it's probably 5.6 um, million a piece but it's going to be cut in half if they don't change it. It's just sunsetting. It's going down. So what clients are doing today is they are moving assets, you know, in an irrevocable trust to then avoid that taxation at death because it's so dramatically possibly going to change. If nothing happens, uh, it's going to change. That's a reason that people are putting money into these irrevocable trusts. And, you know, Clients are 70 or 80 years old, and they're saying, there is no way we're going to spend all this money in our lifetime, so let's transfer some of the assets to um, an irrevocable trust. So there's a couple examples, Bruce. Yeah, when, when I think of an irrevocable trust and, and how I've used it over the years, and again, we're really showing our age peg. We talk about the exclusion on estate uh, taxes being 675 or 650, but I remember yeah. it well, like it was yesterday. But back in those days, in conjunction with client's attorney, and we did estate planning on these big estates, they, they would do what they could in terms of using legal documents to protect assets. But then on a big estate, there would be a certain amount of money that they just couldn't protect from estate taxes. So then, with with the attorney's blessing, this is not you know some some shady financial advisor or some financial advisor trying to do something that's good for the financial advisor. Because you say life insurance, and we're going to do a show in the future on insurance, including life insurance, and, and dig do a deep dive. But life insurance is often used as as an estate planning tool because it gives an infusion of capital to the next generation when mom and dad die with that big estate and it gives them the money to pay the estate tax. So in those days we would calculate, or even the attorney would calculate, here's how much, you know, we, we project that you're going to be over the excluded amount and what your taxes are going to be. So let's buy enough life insurance. If you want to keep the kids and the grandkids and the loved ones whole, let's buy enough life insurance so that they get that infusion of capital to pay the estate tax. Now, then we, then we would put that in an irrevocable trust. Because if you own the life insurance policy, that was still part of the estate and it didn't totally solve the problem. That had to be out of your control, out of your ability to touch it. So we would put life insurance in an irrevocable trust. We still do that today sometimes, but I think I do it less. And I think that's because, number one, the exclusion has gotten so much higher than what it used to be. But number two... I always thought in those days, even back then, the the world, the industry, even the attorneys 
were sort of doing it backwards. They were solving for how much taxes they're going to be, and that's just a projection. Of course, things can change, and the law can change, and the exclusion amount can change, and it did. And, and I always thought the way to calculate it was based on how much cash flow can mom and dad afford to devote to this strategy. I don't want to create a situation where they've got this huge life insurance policy that they may or may not even need, and they can barely afford the premium. And now in their retirement, they're living on ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese because they got this big, giant insurance premium. I always thought you solve for what you can comfortably afford from a cash flow standpoint without detracting from your lifestyle. And if that doesn't solve the whole problem, so be it. You solve as much of the problem as you can. But we don't we don't want the people with all the money. You know, I always tell people, I know you love your kids, but you're my client. My job is to make sure that your life goes the way you want it to go, and then you still help your kids as much as you can. Um, Anything else about irrevocable trust? Anything else about the topic today that you want to make sure you share with listeners? Otherwise, we can see if we uh, get the listeners to help us out a little bit. Peg, anything else? Yeah, super quick. You know, setting up these trusts are very, very complex. So we advise, you know, consulting with an attorney as well as your financial advisor, as well as your tax professional. Wealth Enhancement Group happens to have all of those components in-house. So we guide our clients as to, you know, how and why, and and you just mentioned it, Bruce, can you afford to do this way before we're going to get an attorney hired to write the documents. So I wanted just to add that as a putting a bow on the end of this. And I have, Denny, I have one last thought, and then let's go to listeners. Uh, I actually want to go back. So the irrevocable trust is less frequent, more complicated, don't see it as often. Um, but it was worth, you know, at least mentioning the revocable trust, which is what we usually think of when we say will or a trust. I just wanted to emphasize again, Peg, and I know we hit on it two weeks ago and we probably hit on it today, but I think it bears repeating. I can't tell you how many times over the years I start working with a new client and they show me that they've got a trust in place. And I say, good for you. You've got this trust. And then I look at how their assets are owned. They haven't properly funded the trust because they're, they own their investments incorrectly. These investments should be in the trust, and they're not. It's called funding the trust. Well, if you go to the time, trouble, and expense of drafting this trust, you're wasting money if you don't title your assets properly and fund the trust. So I, I coach people or caution people, if you get a, a revocable trust, and a lot of you probably should, make sure that you title assets properly the, the trust is, is doing what it's supposed to do. And again, things will change. Here's an example from my life. And it's how dumb I am, and I'm a financial advisor. Um, I, have a, I have a revocable trust. I went and bought a piece of real estate. Well, I bet you six or, or nine months went by before it hit me, oh, i got to tell the lawyer, i got to make sure this piece of property is in the trust. I didn't do it right away. I forgot. So I caution people on that one. Big. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that is why we review these documents for clients. I mean, our state strategies department, which Kate is in, you know, a state document review and advice is included in that um, roundtable review. So it just kind of keeps our clients on their toes because we keep bringing it up annually, Bruce. 
All right, Denny, let's uh, let's listeners have listeners take us home. Very good. Uh, here's one text. It says this. It is my understanding that assets passed to heirs through a probated will receive a step-up in basis, which minimizes or eliminates capital gains taxes for heirs while there is no step-up in basis for assets placed into a trust. Is that accurate? Peg, uh, the step-up in basis question um, and losing the step-up in basis if assets are in a trust. Yeah, so uh, this is a, a a great situation that still is in current law, is that if I buy a stock for a dollar and now it's worth a $100 and it's in my name and I have a beneficiary either in my will or I have a named beneficiary, then it steps up to the $100 and there is no capital gains that has to be paid. Now, within a trust, if it's in a revocable trust, you still get that step up in basis. Revocable means you get to still change it during your lifetime. And so if it's revocable, then you will get the step up. But if you happen to give your money away or that stock away into an irrevocable trust where you can't change it, then the step up will not, um, it will not apply. Bruce? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly the right answer. And again, that's a, there's, there's certain negatives about an irrevocable trust that, that that's again we don't use them that often, and if we do, it's usually pretty late in life. I mean, Peg, if, you would never, I, or I never say never, but you wouldn't use an irrevocable trust with somebody in their fifties, probably. They got to be seventies or eighties, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, it's not too late to start planning earlier than that. You know, but we wouldn't maybe necessarily implement the irrevocable trusts. Um, there is some, like in revocable trusts, Bruce, let's say you have a special needs child or uh, some, you know, disability or something. You can already write in your revocable trust that you want an irrevocable trust to happen upon your death. So you can do some pre-planning there where your assets would go in this particular irrevocable trust, maybe for a special needs child or a spendthrift child or something like that. Bruce? Yeah, good good stuff. Danny, right, uh, other other questions from listeners? Yes. As, as a matter of fact, Bruce and Peg, we, uh, we're getting two or three about with uh, basically the same question. Who creates a trust, my financial planner or lawyer? <laughs> good question, Peg. Um, who creates this document? Yeah, so um, it depends. It depends on, you know, who, if you have a financial advisor, um, they can, depending on what their um, expertise is, they or if they have a roundtable that has an estate planning strategies department, they can actually guide you as to, you know, because we sit with the clients and they tell us, oh, you know, this is what we see happening upon our death. And we can talk to them about, well, that seems like maybe you'd want a revocable trust or, you know, maybe a will is is all you need with the power of power of attorney and a health care directive. But we still then, after we consult with them, send them to an estate planning attorney to create the documents. And why do we do that? Because there's still kind of what I call uh, a wall between us being able to create a document 
uh, conflict of interest uh, uh, when it comes to an estate document that then they go to an attorney and we refer several to them if they're looking for one so that they can call a couple different attorneys and talk to them about cost and what services they um, they provide. Bruce? Yeah, that's a great answer. And I don't want to totally duplicate or replicate what you just said, but just to add clarity, I Peg, I tell clients all the time that we have attorneys on staff. Kate Meyer was on the show two weeks ago. It's a great example. So we can review existing legal documents that they have and give our input or our, uh, our read on them. Is it doing what they want it to do and so forth? Do they need to make changes, et cetera? We can advise them what we think their legal documents should look like. We think you only need a will. We think you should have a trust. Here's why, here's why. We can give rationale. And I, but I tell people we can't legally draft that docu- document. Regulatory bodies in our industry see that if we're managing money, if we're a registered investment advisor, even though we're a fiduciary, they see that as crossing the line if we also prepare the legal document. So we don't actually prepare it, but like you said, we have a lot of attorneys that we have good relationships with that we like and trust that we refer clients to if they don't have an attorney. If, they're ha- if they have their own attorney, that's great. We will work with their attorney. They, they don't have to go to someone that we recommend. But I tell clients, even though we don't draft the document, the things that we do before you go to the lawyer's office, we're probably going to save you billable hours because we already did a lot of the things that the attorney would do if you were starting from scratch and you'd be on the clock and we've already taken you part of the way down the road and are probably going to save you a little money. But then, again, we're going to work closely with your attorney, whether it's someone of ours or someone that we referred you to. So it's a great question. I'm glad, I'm glad we got it. And Danny, I apologize. I probably over-talked a little bit there. Uh, I don't think we have time to sneak in any more today. I think we're up against the clock. We are indeed. We can uh, do come back again next week and answer more financial questions uh, for Bruce and Peg. Uh, keep in mind uh, that, and we do hope you come back next week, but if you happen to have a financial question any time of the day or night, you have access to this number 24-7. That's 888-6-ADVICE, 888-6-ADVICE. And keep in mind, you can always email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, that phone number, 888 888- Six advice or your money at wealthenhancement.com. See you next week with more of your money.